I'm so glad to be with you guys uh, this morning. Those both of you in the room and those of you online, uh, good morning and uh, welcome. And uh, I'm just delighted to be with you and uh, teaching for the fourth time and the final week on the series called, uh, you know, the third way, the way of Jesus. And in our day, and we've been talking about this for weeks now, in our day, our social media and our cable media and uh, our online uh, media communicate to us that there are uh, two choices, two boxes. That, that's what there are. You're either liberal or you're conservative. You're Republican or you're Democrat. You're pro-life or you're anti-life. You're pro-LGBTQ or you're anti and whatever, you're blue lives or... Uh, black lives, right? This is what we hear. This is what our culture says. And then if you're in one box, you're supposed to despise or hate or look down on those in the other box. And what our teaching team has been trying to say all month is no, no, no. This is not the way of Jesus. This is not his third way. And people, what we want to remind you of again this morning, is people always wanted to put Jesus into those boxes too. You know, he said, uh, he said uh, they said, you're either with Rome or you're against Rome. Yeah, you're either a law follower, religious law follower, or you're a lawbreaker. You're either for the Sabbath or you're a Sabbath breaker. Which are you, Jesus? They just kept saying that over and over and over again. And what's amazing to me and the other teachers in the series is Jesus just kept stepping out of both boxes and finding a third way. I'm going to give... It, it happened 30, 40, 50 times in the New Testament. People were trying to put him in a box, one side or the other, and Jesus just stepped out of both boxes and said, no, this is what it looks like to love God. And this third way of thinking and living is what made the early church, we're talking the first two or three hundred years of Christianity, this is what made them so attractive and just explode. It wasn't what they believed. It was how they lived. Those of us in the series are uh, reading a book uh, called Resilient Faith by Gerald Sitzer. And it's all about the first 300 years of Christianity. And he says over and over again, uh, that people were attracted to this way of living, this third way. Let me read a couple quotes from the book. In fact, there was an early Roman emperor who paid his priests in a different religion to be like these followers of the way. He said, I'm going to pay you extra, but I want you, you keep believing what you believe, but I want you to live like them. And they could not do it. They could not do it. One of the ancient writers said about this third century church, Heedless of danger to themselves. These are the Christians. Heedless of danger to themselves. They took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, they departed this life sometimes, serenely happy. Those who didn't follow the way of Jesus behaved exactly the opposite in those days of the plague. At the onset of the plague, they pushed the sufferers away, and fled from even their most dear. They booted them out into the street. Don't be here. Even those they loved. But what would Christians do? They would gather them on the street and bring them into their own homes. 
oh my goodness, do you see the attractiveness? So then I, I looked at how Jesus did this, and uh, I, I came up with a definition of the third way that I want to use today, and here it is on the slide, an unexpected, generous, and kind response that's helpful to people. An unexpected, generous, and kind response that's helpful to people. It totally fits what Jeff, Alice, and Brian taught. You know, Jeff said to love is to listen. This third way is about listening. Yes, it is. Alice said it's inviting people to the table who are other than you. Remember that? Yeah. And Brian said it's a generosity of heart. So for today, an unexpected, generous, and kind response that's helpful to people. This is the third way. It might look like this. Maybe when someone is exploding or yelling at you in anger, you could stay calm. Take a breath. Lower your voice and lower the temperature in the room. Unexpected. Generous. Helpful. You know, just because somebody yells at you doesn't mean you have to yell back. Right? Maybe when someone's criticizing you deeply and it's hurting you. Maybe you push the pause button. You take a deep breath. You ask God for help. And you find something affirming you could say back to them about them. That would be shocking. Maybe a teammate just made a mistake that cost your team a ton. A lot of choices. What are you going to do? Maybe you could encourage them and give them a word of encouragement rather than a critical cut down. Jesus taught and modeled this way of living. This is how he taught and this is how he lived. And I see this in our, in our world all the time. And I, part of what I'm going to do today is just point my finger at some places where I've seen it, right here. So Hope Lutheran Church of West Des Moines, uh, actually the biggest church in Iowa, um, they got word, this is several years ago, they got word that some protesters were going to be at their driveway on Sunday morning protesting their stands, or lack of stands on certain issues, and it was Westboro Baptist Church of Kansas. And actually, they were in town uh, protesting and holding up signs, marching at six churches. Now, imagine being Hope Lutheran Church. You get word they're going to be here tomorrow morning at the entrance to your driveway. How do you respond? Counter protesters? Write an article? How do you respond? Well, they did in a way I'm still talking about. Because it was a third way. They, uh, they sent an email to their congregation saying, we don't want any counter protesters. Please don't. And they notified the police that we don't want any trouble. Please have somebody drive by. We want no trouble. And then on that Sunday morning, unexpected, generous, kind response that's helpful to people, a pastor and several volunteers carried a table and a warm breakfast out and set it by the protesters without a word and invited them with their hands to breakfast. Lower the temperature. Pause. Relax. 
Well, you say, well, you know, a church can live that way, but people can't live that way. You're not going to take a breakfast to your enemies, right? Well, I'm saying, yes, people can live that way. You can live that way. There are examples of it everywhere. In fact, you know, take athletics, right? Take athletics. I mean, it's so simple in athletics. You either win or you lose. Or you uh, do your uh, personal best if you're a cross-country runner. Well, I want you to take a look at this video. This is a championship cross-country race. Take a look at this and look for the third way. This hill taking a toll on a couple runners trying to finish those final 20 yards. Wow. Yeah, you can see. What, what a tremendous show of sportsmanship as you've got an athlete who can't quite make it and they've got a team, a, a girl from another team trying to help her to the finish line so she can finish the race. That's what, now that's another what the sport one is all well. about. Oh my goodness. This is just incredible. The sportsmanship phenomenal as you see those final yards there. As you see, Clemson and Louisville helping the Boston College runner. That's Tate and Pease. And the Boston College runner can't even lift her legs right now. She'll try to cross the finish line. What a shot right here at Lakeland Soccer Park in Cary. But you sacrifice your own position wow. to help another athlete finish what they started. And that, that's a true sportsmanship. That's the third way, isn't it? And you don't have to be in college to do it. April last spring, Holmes Junior High track meet. I saw it on Channel 7 on the nightly news. Uh, April 27th, Bo Wikers, 13, has a rare genetic condition. He entered his first race, and he's standing there and he got confused about what he was supposed to do, and one of his teammates, uh, Brennan, another Holmes runner, in the same heat, kind of grabbed him and started walking with him. We're talking eighth or ninth grade boys in a race. Some of you might have been there. Several other boys from other schools looked at what was happening, and they, fall, they fell back, and they walked with Brennan behind him and he won his first race. And nobody told him to do it. They didn't even know he'd be in the heat. And of course, you know what was happening in the van, in the stands. They were going crazy. They were cheering and hooraying this amazing third way of living. We can do it. We can do this. We definitely can do it. The third way, an unexpected, generous, and kind response that's helpful to people. Jesus taught it. So let me point out a couple places how he did it, just for fun. John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching. He's getting ready to make his best point of the morning. He's in the temple. He's teaching. And all of a sudden, these religious leaders drag in this woman that was caught in adultery, John chapter 8. And they say to him, Okay, the law says we stone her to death. What do you say, Jesus? There they are, putting him in one of two boxes. You're either for the law or you're against the law. You're for our God, Jehovah, or you're against our God, Jehovah. And Jesus is a master. Master, master. This is the living Bible. This is how it says it. It says, uh, 
Jesus looked at the woman. And he said, okay, go ahead and stone her. Do it. The law. But only the man who has no sin himself can throw the first stone. Do you see how third way that is? And then I love this next part. Those of you who are older in the room, you'll love this part too. It's like it says, beginning with the older, they started to disperse. Because the older caught on. He's got us. We're done. There's not going to be any death here today. Because they saw what was happening. And then Jesus turns to her. says, aren't there any accusers here? And he says, neither do I accuse you. By the way, he's the only one in the room that could throw the rock. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. I mean, the New Testament is filled with this kind of stuff. Uh, here's another one. Again, Jesus is teaching. He's got a house full of people. The doors are blocked. The windows are blocked. And these men carry up on a cot this paralytic who can't walk. Remember this story? Um, here, uh, let's pick it up. They've carried him to the edge. And they've uh, seen that they can't get to Jesus. And they go up on the roof. And they let their friend down on ropes in a cot. And he's right in front of Jesus. They open the tile of the roof. Here's, here's the scripture. We've got a slide. When Jesus saw their faith, there, that's the friends' faith. When Jesus looked up on the roof and saw their faith, the friends, he said to the man on the cot, friend, your sins are forgiven. I can just hear the friends like, we didn't bring him here to have his sins forgiven. We, we, we like brought him here to walk. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus did this on purpose. Because, again, it's a third way of living. Because he wanted to rile up the Pharisees in the room who were the religious people. And he says, uh, the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And then he asked them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know, that the Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. In this last sentence, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. In the book of Acts, when the apostles were living this third way, the disciples, there's a verse in Acts 2 that says exactly the same one. Everyone was amazed at what was happening and gave praise to God. When uh, Hope Lutheran Church took that hot breakfast out, it was good for their congregation to see. And they could praise God that morning. When those two runners in that ACC cross-country final stopped and helped, did you hear the words of the announcer? This is amazing. They're doing it at a cost to themselves. Everyone was amazed. And if they hear the motivation behind it, they're excited to praise God. I see it in our church right here. Quite often. Uh, Allison Forsyth, one of our members, who I actually didn't know until a month ago, um, is a lifelong friend 
of Brooke Kaufman and the Kaufman family. Brooke was the wife of Andy and the mother of Beckett who died in the barn that collapsed. And uh, Andy liked coming here sometimes. And as they were figuring what to do for a funeral, Allison Forsyth, she might be here, I don't know. She, uh, she said, well, I'm sure Orchard would serve you. And what Allison did was she cleared her schedule for a couple weeks and her family and her sacrificed her time, changed plans to walk with Brooke. And then Allison called us and said, can we help? And we were able to do a, you know, a huge funeral and uh, help the family in a way that touched them deeply. That's the third way. One way is I've already got plans set. I'm already busy. I've got three kids of my own. I've got, but when I asked Allison about this, she said, well, I knew that Brooke or Andy would do it for us if the situation were reversed. Third way. Following our family accident, we, we had this in spades, right? We had people like bend over backwards to help us. Uh, one of our ch church friends had a bunch of mileage, right, in the airlines. And he uh, flew seven of us home for free from Tallahassee, Florida, where we were trying to encourage our family. And four crazies in this church arranged their life to drive their own car to Florida so that two of them could drive my car back. And on that Tuesday of the funeral week, I walk out to my driveway, and there's my car washed, filled with gas in my driveway. Unexpected, generous, kind response. Don't let our world tell you you have to respond in a certain way. You get to respond. And as followers of Jesus, we need to be following Jesus in our response. Years back, some of my stories are old because I'm old. Uh, I can't help it. Years back, uh, as the leader of the church, I sent an email to a bunch of people, and it was one of many emails I'm sure I sent that didn't make sense at all. It's like it didn't make sense. People couldn't understand what I was communicating. I was trying to communicate a teaching schedule, but it was all messed up. The dates we were teaching weren't Sundays. The, I mean, it was crazy. And Kurt Vanderweel's wife, Kara, took a look at the email. Kurt said, come over here. Help me make sense of this. And she couldn't. And then she was in my office the next Monday morning, really nervous. And like, how do you respond to a bad email? I bet you got them this week. Bad emails. How do you respond? Well, Kara found a third way. She said, Dave, I think you need some help. <laughs> I would like to volunteer to help you, you know, actually a lot of hours every week for free. She became one of our first unpaid staff. Just because they could arrange her life that way. That was a third-way response, right? I mean, I could have responded to that email a lot of other ways if I had received it. This kind of third-way response is sticky. It's very sticky. 
and it's noteworthy. And we get to do it. So how do we do it? Real quick. I'm not so big on the how this morning, but maybe this will help some of you. Um, let's take a look at this slide. Uh, so uh, four things you might, uh, might help you live this way in the moment. One, push the pause button. We've done a whole series of teachings on push the pause button and take a deep breath. Sometimes that's the first thing you have to do. Don't respond with your first response. Leave judgment behind in humility. This is probably the hardest for a lot of us. It's like, what an idiot. Are you crazy? See, we've got these judgments in us, right? If we take a breath, and then we can leave judgment behind in humility. And remember, we too are broken in many, many ways. And then we seek God's guidance in that moment. God help me. And then we move forward with a step of kindness and courage and faith. I think the key is the pause button. Stop. Sometimes I might need to pause for a minute, five minutes, two days. Right? Because you can get so riled. You can do this, though. God's spirit lives in you. You can do this. Look for God's help. So my family vacationed this summer in Montana. I'm sure you wanted to know that. Uh, we rented a uh, VRBO house. And uh, the owner was a really good guy who happened to be there when we arrived. Uh, he and his wife had fixed some things, and they happened to be there, and he texted me and said, hey, Dave, when you get here, I'm going to actually be here, and I'm the owner. And so uh, he actually took me around, showed me the price. It was a great house for our family right in the mountains. It, it, was, it was beautiful. And uh, I discovered that he was a leader. He lived in Salt Lake City. He was a leader in the Mormon church, the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, living in St. Paul. And we got to know each other for maybe a half an hour, walking around the house. And then he made an incredible comment to me. He said, you know, Dave, oh, well, he, first of all, he told me the only reason we rent this, our vacation house out is this is how we afford it to keep it once I retired. So we need to rent it out five or six or seven times a year like this in order to keep it. That's how we afford it. And then he said, but the interesting thing is God has used it in some families to do amazing things. And he said two weeks ago, it, it, it was rented by this family who were, had this incredible reconciliation. Two brothers hadn't talked to themselves for 10 years. And they came to our vacation house and they reconciled. And they had a week together. So I just made a mental note of that. Wow, cool. And then, you know, we were in touch a couple times because a couple things got broken. And... Uh, <laughs> We were in touch a couple times, and uh, then at the end, he said, just make me a list. Your insurance covers all this, so make me a list. And so then, and then along with that text, I said, interesting, you should, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to open my hands to the guy. I said, interesting, you should talk about families finding renewal at your house. This was a special vacation for our house, for our family. And I said, six years ago, we had a family tragedy and a grandson, a granddaughter, and my son were killed. And this is our last vacation before our daughter-in-law emerges into a new family. 
This is our last one together. I, I just thought you might want to know. And if you want to see any more about it, I actually teach at a church, and I did this thing called The Gathering that's online. You can go to YouTube, or you can see Ben, Charlie, and Bailey's funeral. And I said, hey, thanks. It was a great week. A week later, I get a text. He says, I couldn't watch the videos right away because I wanted my wife to see them with me. We sat down and watched both. He said, you don't know this, but a year ago, we lost a four-year-old grandson. It killed me. He said, I love what you had to say. I think we're brothers in Christ. Did I mention he's a Mormon? We had read their declarations on the wall, the Mormon. He, you know, as a leader, he's got some of their declarations. He had their hymn books, um, the Book of Mormon. Years back, I would have responded to that email by telling him how we believe differently. Years back, I believe I would have been wrong. Jesus continually included people. That's how he moved their lives. That's how the spirit worked. So I simply wrote him back and said, thank you, thank you so much for watching these. Thank you for believing we're brothers in Christ. And man, if that's true, and we keep walking, we'll see each other and we'll have a cup of coffee in heaven one day. If I believe the spirit of God can be at work in people, and if I believe some of what I could be teaching this morning might also be wrong. Could be. I wouldn't want it to be, but it could be. Uh, let's be humble in how we respond to people. This third way is the way we want to be a church. It's the way we want to be in town. When another church has a success, we want to celebrate it. That's the third way. When another church has a success, we just want to celebrate. That's the third way. Now, we actually have a teaching leadership point of view for this exact moment in your heart. We've been praying for several months that at the conclusion of this series, and actually every other series we teach, we want you to be inspired, to be motivated, to be a little more filled with truth from God's word so that when you're walking out to your car in a couple minutes, you know what we hope is true in your head, in your heart? I can do this a little better. I can follow Jesus a little better, be a little more third way. Not walking out to your car thinking, man, I'm a loser. If he knew how I responded yesterday, he wouldn't have wanted me in these seats. Man, I'm so filled with shame and guilt. That's not what we want. We want you inspired, motivated, connected to Jesus and each other so you can live this way. That's what we want. Alice, Jeff, 
Brian and me, we've been praying for that in this moment. And so uh, thank you so much for being here. Let's pray together. Father God, this is very challenging stuff. And it's inspiring to see when people live this third way. It's inspiring. So, Father, help us. Help us live this way. Help us uh, push that pause button. Help us uh, take a deep breath. Help us partner with you and find unexpected, generous, and kind ways to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.